Do you consider yourself a high achiever? Smart, driven, highly successful? I am so excited to have you. My name is Julia Arndt and I'm the host of the Stress Podcast. I will help you develop your stress resilience the same way you've developed your workplace superpowers. Learn peak performance tools to thrive at work and in your personal life. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to the Stress Podcast. I am really excited to announce the next interview guest today on the show, who is Michael Susie from LinkedIn. Hi, Michael. How are you today? Julia, I'm very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, Michael, you are the Director of Wellness at LinkedIn. Um, I'm super excited to talk with you about well-being and wellness in corporations today. But before we jump in, um, I always ask my interview guests to pick us a little bit up of where are you right now and what time is it and what have you been up to this morning? It is. So I'm in Stockton, California. Um, not where I typically live, but where we are sort of uh, holed up right now. Mm-hmm. It is 11.16 a.m. Pacific Daylight Savings Time. <laughs> it's important to note. I know Europe hasn't done their daylight saving just yet. Not yet, yeah. Uh, my morning has consisted of, uh, let's see, I recorded my own internal podcast with a guest on a sleep topic earlier today. I've been in meetings talking about how we're shutting down different offices and services because of the uh, coronavirus. And um, I have two chickens cooking on the stove right now, making some chicken soup. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Is that like your flu uh, pre-prevention? So I love soup. I believe that even when it's hot out soup, I can have soup every day of the week, no matter temperature. Um, I make really good soup. And the kids love the soup. And obviously, it's not a bad time to, uh, I guess, really reinforce those things that are known to boost our immune system. So we've been eating a lot of garlic. We've been eating, we always eat a lot of garlic, but uh, ginger, a lot of more, you know, emphasizing fermented foods. Um, I'm a huge sauerkraut fan. So I've been having a lot of sauerkraut. Nice. And then some chicken soup. And I think tomorrow I'll make a split pea. I make a really good split pea soup as well. Nice. I love it. I, I love soups too. I definitely grew up with soups from my grandma in Germany. Um, yeah. And I always really love that. And I'm not eating that many soups anymore, but it's very inspiring. Maybe I should start again. Maybe now, yeah. <laughs> ah, maybe I'll ask you for the recipe afterwards. Um, you have been in the well-being space and you have seen the well-being space evolve over the last eight years because you've been working at LinkedIn um, first as a global wellness manager and over the last eight years, of course, this um, role has evolved and you have become the director of wellness at LinkedIn. Um, what, what have you seen change and evolve in your role? Because I feel like eight years ago, we didn't really talk too much about well-being and wellness and today it's really, really important. Yeah, for sure. I have seen it change a lot. And, you know, my joining LinkedIn was the first time that I worked in a corporate environment within wellness. Mm-hmm. So I kind of came in, you know, fresh eyed, not really sure what to expect. But the first thing that caught me by surprise was when I interviewed at LinkedIn and I was a contractor for uh, less than a year, about a one year contract initially. But when I came out to interview, my question was, why have a wellness program? And my anticipation was around healthcare savings, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And everyone at LinkedIn that was part of the interview panel and 
people I met with were to a person, it was about recruiting and retention. Mm -hmm. It was about creating this employee experience that helps recruit and then helps obviously people be well and be good when they're doing what they're doing. Um, but also is just sort of drives loyalty. A lot has shown over, over the years that uh, an engaged employee is a happy employee and a lot of things follow suit uh, from there. So I think the first thing I've seen change, and I don't know if it's ever changed at LinkedIn, but the first thing I've seen change in the industry is more of a focus, um, or should maybe rephrase that, less of a focus on, oh, here's a wellness program to make you healthy, or here's a wellness program to make you more well, or it, not that it can't do that, but it's really challenging. It's really hard to prove. Most people that need that support aren't engaging in programs of that nature unless you make them mandatory and somehow, mm -hmm. I think, unscalably uh, incentivized. So I think the focus of the employee experience um, is where I've seen that shift. And moving a little bit away from this specific dot connecting of here's an illness and we're trying to cure it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think one of the things that... I find still interesting when I'm talking with smaller companies, right? We both like you work, you work for LinkedIn. I work for Google. So the wellness programs and the well-being programs are pretty elaborate. It's really interesting for me when I talk with small, smaller and medium, you know, um, sized businesses and they think like when I ask them about well-being, they talk about maternity and paternity leave and um, PTO and um, you know, these kind of things. Do you think about wellness programs when you think, about these like do you think about these things when you think about wellness programs or is has that already that next step i do now i don't know that i did before i think you look at the gamut of what it is it makes us well or unwell and i think it runs all these different things from obviously mm -hmm. our financial you know how we feel about our finances do we feel secure in that is a big driver in our own mental well-being sometimes motivation to do the other things we need to do for ourselves like exercise or eat well a lot of bad food and liquid choices sometimes are driven by stress, which could be rooted in financial health and whatnot. So mm -hmm. really understand that every employee has a very different perspective, is motivated by different things, that going back to that experience, it is having time off is a big part of all of that. And how do you work that into your policies to actually not just say it, but to have it happen? Mm -hmm. I can give you an example of that what we've done at LinkedIn. So speaking specifically to time off, Companies want their employees to take time off because we're better when we have a little bit of time to rejuvenate. Mm -hmm. However, people don't. Um, and what we had found was um, in the U.S., people either weren't taking their time or if they would take the time, the process of approval and having it actually come off the books wasn't happening that effectively or efficiently. And um, what we did is we went to a DTO or discretionary time off policy where in the U.S. we have two weeks of the year that were shut down. Mm -hmm. So it's the, week, the last week of the year and the week of July 4th. So mm -hmm. in the U.S. you pretty much have two weeks where you're off. Nice. Companies closed. Mm -hmm. Now the July 4th shutdown is not global, uh, but the end of the year shutdown is. And I'll tell you, it's remarkable when you can go away for time and your mind isn't back on what's happening in the office, are decisions being made and I'm not present? What am I missing out on? How many emails are waiting for me? Because when everyone's off, at least within my role, right? Not like if you're in sales, you need to pay attention to your clients and things of that nature. Um, but we looked at that as a way to really encourage people to take their time because we know how valuable it is. So back to a long answer to your short question, mm -hmm. I do think of that 
the totality of that culture really goes into the employee's well-being. Mm -hmm. Which is a big job, like, you know, as a director of wellness, then it, you know, it like becomes very quickly, very apparent that you probably have to work with a lot of different teams in order to ensure that well-being is there for your employees. Absolutely. I agree. And one thing that we're, I'm, so when I started at LinkedIn, I initially was in workplace or on the facilities team, as it was called mm -hmm. then. And it was a great place to start when LinkedIn was in hyper growth mode of building new offices and expanding because wellness was part of all well, all workplace project managers checklists of how do we account for programming space within our offices. And we came up with metrics on how much space to allot based on headcount and mm -hmm. other different factors. And so it was really great to have this foundation now. And for the past, I want to say five years, maybe a little, maybe six. Um, we moved wellness under benefits. Mm -hmm. So I sit on the benefits team. It's a much better place to be once the program is matured because benefits are really about recurring programs as opposed to project oriented mm -hmm. like workplace typically is. So I get a chance to work with, you know, fantastic benefits professionals and know the benefits world inside and out. And so just being in those meetings, it's very easy to allow how we tie mm -hmm. all that stuff together. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been an eye-opening experience for me because I'd never worked in benefits before, but seeing the full gamut of how you take into account every person and every need and how wellness supports all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's great that you're actually answering this because that was the next question was, what did you do eight years ago when you started and what are you doing today? Because I'm sure that there's a lot of changes. So, okay. So back then you worked more in workplace and, you know, planning facilities. What, what would be one or two of your focus areas today? So we still focus on that to a degree though. We aren't building as many buildings, um, but obviously my team has grown. So I have a team of four people, four full-time employees that work uh, on the wellness team with me. So some of them take some of those focus. What I'm really focusing on is um, metrics. So how do we get accurate? Mm -hmm. um, metrics on participation with an attempt to try to get towards efficacy in an appropriate way. And by that, I mean, every company has a different appetite for a level of private data they're willing to take on of their employees and do things with. Mm -hmm. um, our approach is more conservative. We'd rather not, though we understand the importance. So we're really uh, measured in how we go about measuring different levels of efficacy, though we're really big on measuring participation. So One thing is working on these different tools to capture participation and ultimately try to tie it to an outcome, whether it be an outcome that a person says, hey, I'm better now than I was before I engaged in the program or a particular initiative. Mm -hmm. And also to say, like, can we actually see that engagement in not just wellness, but employee engagement overall drives things like better EVS results? That's the employee voice survey. So are you happier? And that's the very first question that's asked on the EVS is, how happy are you working at LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, measuring happiness measurements really important, um, but being able to tie, do people in, engage in in-day and in wellness programs and in learning. And then when you all do that, does it manifest itself in, you know, a, uh, a happier employee? Yeah, of course. So that's one thing. And then the other one is, and this, you know, current work from home situation has expedited our urgency is creating online content. Um, one, I like doing it. Two, not everyone is able to meet at the same time and gather information and people like to receive it in different ways. So really trying to almost create like a wellness media, um, internal LinkedIn wellness media that we can constantly be turning out content for people to help them ultimately develop strategies. 
to yeah. uh, be as well as they can. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, do you have one maybe well-being benefit that you are most proud of that you have that at LinkedIn? Well, there is. I would actually, it go, kind of goes beyond, well, it fits into wellness if you, well-being, when you take into account the total person, the total employee. Mm -hmm. But it's not exclusively a wellness initiative, but it's something called Perk Up, mm -hmm. which my manager came up with this a couple of years ago, and it really was born out of a lot of different people want a lot of different things. And it's challenging to get everybody exactly what they want. And mm -hmm. so Perk Up is based on Everyone, every LinkedIn employee has access to a certain amount of money every year mm -hmm. to spend on well, we started off initially was wellness or childcare. Mm -hmm. And so in the US, we get $2,000 that we can put towards those initiatives. Now, since then, it's expanded. It can actually covers, you can get student loan reimbursements through mm -hmm. Perk Up. You can do tax preparation, house cleaning, uh, childcare and wellness activities, um, dog walking, pet sitting. So all the different things that may be a stress for you mm -hmm. um, or make your life more convenient or better so you can focus on your work or focus on just yourself, mm -hmm. uh, Perk Up allows that. And I think it's just been, it's, it's so well utilized. It's really unique when we talk to people about it, you know, external and their eyes light up. And uh, I would say from a wellness and an overall benefits perspective, Perk Up is something we're all really proud of. Very cool. And it sounds yeah. like the feedback on it is really good as well. So I'm sure that the metrics actually show, show that as well. Yes, very much. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great. And so, you know, everybody's talking about the new decade and now we have COVID-19 at the moment going on, but you as a, you know, as an influencer and change maker, have you thought about what the next decade in well-being looks like for, for the company and maybe even also for yourself? I'm a really poor planner. So I kind of <laughs> look at <laughs> what's next. Um, I, so to me, overall, I think it's a level of personalization. It's being able to get to um, allowing people access to tools and resources and some level of artificial intelligence that really allows us to get to what is going to make a difference for us. Because mm -hmm. I think overall, like we, we use wellness terminology where we talk about our six wellness tenets, which are thoughts, breathing, hydration, nutrition, movement, and rest. And just to talk about the movement tenet, this is the easiest one I think to articulate. Yes, everyone should move to the best of our abilities. We're better. Our bodies are meant to be in motion, but not everyone's movement is a has the same ability And two, has the same need based upon what it is that you want to do. Mm -hmm. So a general program like, oh, you should go out and do 10 squats and 20 lunges and this and the other. That's cool, but that's general. But how do we get to what Julia needs or wants mm -hmm. based upon what your own personal goals are? I mean, maybe you have a goal to compete in a triathlon. Well, your movement goals are going to be very different than mine. Who Maybe I'm just more like, I want to stave off being sedentary. So, but that to me, people's success in incorporating wellness practices hinges on those fine points, mm -hmm. you know, and I think when we, you miss the mark and you'll miss by much with a person, they lack consistency. And when we lack consistency, we don't really get the full benefit of what those things are. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about getting into the individualization. How do we personalize? How can people engage with um, these different tools and resources that allow them to accomplish what their goal is. Mm -hmm. 
And so how do you hold your employees accountable to do these things? I think that's really interesting conversation, actually, because, okay, you have these six pillars, you know, everybody is aware that we should be moving, we should be resting, we should be sleeping, and um, we should be breathing, <laughs> we should, you know, invest in our mental health. Um, but, you know, I, I love this quote, and I quote it very often, it's the greatest gap in life is between knowing and doing. And so how do you you know, help your employees stay, stay consistent and disciplined in these different areas. Sure. I also, I, I probably would start off by saying, you know, when you first phrased the question, it was how do we hold them accountable? Mm -hmm. And then you ended it more with um, how do we support them? I forget mm -hmm. now what you said, but yeah. I would say we don't hold them accountable. And by that, I mean, we, our goal would be more in line with organizationally, everyone's held accountable to do a good work. Mm -hmm. to um, come in and work towards the company's mission, to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, to take on challenging conversations and challenging situations to work through and think through and to be compassionate while we do that, that's where the accountability comes in, to be personally accountable, to bring your best self forward. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. I believe that you do that by in engaging in wellness practices, among other things like expressing gratitude and all that other kind of stuff. So I put the accountability back in that regard where mm -hmm. what's funny is I used to lead new hire orientation. And I remember someone saying a new employee that knew an employee that was already there, they go, oh, you're going to make us do squats during new hire. And I go, no, no, no. I never make anybody do anything. <laughs> I go, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do squats if you want to. Yeah. But I think there's, you know, a little bit in that nuance. Um, so I think there's a level of when you come to work at LinkedIn, there is a level of you want to be good. You want to do things. And culturally, our goal is not to trap people at work or give them a reason not to go home or to stay longer, but rather to say, everyone's trying to make the most of their time. We want to do things in our lives beyond just coming to work or accomplishing our work goals. And mm -hmm. the way to do that is to help people with their efficiencies, to help people understand how they can be um, at their best. Mm -hmm. So I think it comes more culturally for our employees and it does specifically coming from wellness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that come, that brings the next really good question about like, how do you create a well-being culture, right? Especially when you are a company that maybe doesn't have that much focus on well-being right now. Well, one thing that's been benefit was really beneficial is when I started. So when I started at LinkedIn, we were about 900 people in Mountain View where we were headquartered, um, another couple hundred people, maybe 1,200 total people in the company when I started in 20, end of 2010. We're over 16,000 people now. So one thing that really benefited our wellness program is when it started, because it wasn't like we were a 16,000 person organization that had a bunch of bad habits to break or mm -hmm. people in different segments thinking about things one way or another, but rather as the company grew, the program grew along with it. Mm -hmm. I'd also say for us with our leadership at LinkedIn um, and the company's mission and how we really push culture and talk about it and live it, um, it became this real natural fit. Mm -hmm. It never felt like, and not just wellness, I think all the different programming we have at LinkedIn, it never comes across as, you know, executives or managers saying one thing and then turning around and, you know, doing the other, like, oh, we care about you. Mm -hmm but we need you to stay till nine o'clock tonight and yeah. be in first thing tomorrow morning. Now, granted, that may happen here and there, but that it's really well aligned. So mm -hmm. it's been a really beneficial place to do it. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And um, I think you're, you know, just addressing the next really important thing, which is role modeling and how, you know, we step up as, as leaders and show what we are doing because there's a lot of data and a lot of research behind how powerful it is to the employee to see actually the leader walk the walk. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. I actually have two anecdotes, if you don't mind me sharing on that, on that topic. One of them is, you know, leader, like the leader, right? And then there's leaders, like our individual leaders, like my manager and, you know, where that person falls. And so leader top, you know, talking about our current CEO, Jeff Wiener, who's leaving, uh, well, not leaving LinkedIn, but moving into executive chairman role at the end of June. Jeff, from when um, I started here, used to always talk about caring for oneself, taking the time. And one of the examples he gave, and he actually wrote a blog post years ago on this, was around putting time on your calendar for nothing, mm -hmm. and if it's just 10 minutes. And he would pick those 10 minutes throughout the day, depending upon his schedule. And it could be to sort of catch your breath and get ready to go into maybe an intense afternoon or meetings or whatever, or maybe it's in the afternoon just to catch your breath and regroup and just take stock of what's gone on. But by having your CEO step up and say, I take time for myself and I encourage all of you to find, mm -hmm. even if it's just 10 minutes, put 10 minutes on your calendar to do nothing, but just to gather yourself. That was huge because when I would stand in front of people and talk, there's always maybe that little cynical side of going, well, sure, you're the wellness guy. Of course, <laughs> you're going to say that. But it's like, well, no, like the yeah. CEO cares. You know, obviously yeah. the person who cares the most. Now, next level down, managers, um, we have found that we have an event every Uh, one Friday of every month called in day and in day is a day that employee, the company gets back to employees. So employees can go do something transformational for themselves, the company or the world. Mm -hmm. And obviously we want people to participate. Now that level of participation can run the gamut of your volunteering at your kid's school to you're engaging in a program or initiative that we at LinkedIn are putting on for employees. And what we found was we never had any managers, at least not many or outwardly say, don't participate in in day. Mm -hmm. To a T, everyone would say, yes, participate in in-day. Mm -hmm. But the managers that had employees that had the highest intake of participation weren't the ones that just said, yes, go do it. They're the ones that actually did it themselves. Did it. Of course. Because, yeah. and as an employee goes, yeah, they, they said I can do that, but they're at their desk. So maybe mm -hmm. I should also be exactly. in mind. Even if they're going, no, no, you go, go ahead. Enjoy in-day. It's so modeling it definitely um actions speak louder than words i'm sure we can find all other kind of cliches to go along to support yeah, it but sure. it's 100% true it's modeling that behavior and managers we have found have a bigger impact than the executives mm -hmm. because the executives can say one thing on all hands right and say go do this and then the manager's going yes do that and they, mm -hmm. everyone leaves and like listen get your ass back in that chair and get to work. So yeah. managers, I think, have a bigger influence on uh, employees' behavior than executives do. Yeah, for sure. And I would go even one step further because I think that, you know, Brandy Brown has this really beautiful definition of what a leader is and it's all of us are leaders, right? So it, it starts always with us and like showing also that we are engaged and that we are holding ourselves accountable to, to making certain changes. So um, absolutely. So yeah, so I, I love that you said the, like the CEO, the managers, and I would take it a step further and say like each individual is responsible too. Absolutely. And it's really surprising. We've learned how influential without intention an employee can be to another just by their behavior. You know, they're the ones that maybe you're going to the gym, let's say, or taking a class or in, engaging in some other activity. 
And whether it be just from word of mouth or them saying like, hey, that person does that and they've been here for a while and they have success here and this seems to be the way that we engage most effectively as, uh, as colleagues. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And so, you know, we talked about the decade, like 2020, and we, you talked about personalization and how to really help me or like, you know, help that individual, like find what they need in order to be happy and healthy. Um, what do you think if, if a corporation or a company just is starting to think about well-being and culture, right? Maybe they are already a big corporation, but they've not really maybe worked on well-being too much. And now they're trying to get it into, into their company. What? And there's kind of two questions in there. I guess the first question would be, how will they start a culture? And then the second one is, how can you gain a competitive advantage in terms of you know, hiring, of course, amazing employees in order to do really great work? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start with the second part of your question. And I think to me, it has to do with tying it, tying it into the company's mission. So the reason that you have all different types of employee programming beyond just wellness is how do you tie that back into uh, the company's mission overall? Mm -hmm. um, I think one concern some people can have, especially if a company has already been in existence for a while, then suddenly they have this wellness program there's some skepticism about like why mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you want from me yeah so to the um as much as a company can it's not asking for anything in return mm -hmm. um i honestly believe you'll get things in return but to set it up for the purpose of gathering stuff sometimes can be a little tricky mm -hmm. so it's really about creating opportunities you know it's not making anybody it's not forcing anyone um, it's really creating this opportunity for people to engage mm -hmm. and it's listening. Um, I've always believed that you know, ultimately you have to put the ball in play. We can sit around a room, we can talk about scenarios, we can hypothesize on how we think something will go one way or another. But the only way you really know is you put the ball in play and you kick it off and you get mm -hmm. going. And now you need to adapt though. So you can't get too rooted in some desired outcome. Um, but rather you need to be, have that, not a loose affiliation, but again, you can't get married. There's a, something called like the law of, uh, the law of detachment mm -hmm. that like you set your intention, you, but then you let it go and mm -hmm. then you don't become so attached to a particular outcome. Um, but then it's about creating opportunities and then listening mm -hmm. and making those adjustments where it's, uh, you know, important. Um, I do think it's much more challenging. I don't know that I have a good answer for if a company's already up and going, how to get it in there. Mm -hmm. um, other than I will share one other anecdote, which kind of goes into like the shirt that I'm wearing. It's happy camper okay. around our culture camp. Mm -hmm. But going back to when uh, LinkedIn was first starting up with wellness. So back in 2011 and maybe into 2012, every LinkedIn employee that got hired within the first, say three months of their hire, they all came to Mountain View for a week. It was like a week long orientation. Mm -hmm. Now, outside of Mountain View, every office was sales and marketing. So you had a lot of type A personality folks coming into Mountain View. And I had the good fortune of being given one hour every Tuesday to give a wellness talk. Mm -hmm. And the talk was part why wellness matters, why LinkedIn has a program. The other part was here's how you can engage in the program. Okay. And so we had online, we had some online programming, we had classes. And then I used to teach uh, an in-shape class. It was an outdoor boot camp class. And so everyone was invited to come out. And they would flock out to it. And then there would be, you know, a handful of people that say, hey, this is great. 
how do we do this in Dublin? How do we do this in London? How do we do this in Singapore and Sydney? And, you know, and I was like, Hey, if you can help me find a yoga instructor and we talk to the workplace person, we find a conference room or a space that we can clear out, you know, that'd be a huge help. And I, I don't have sources. I don't have resources to find a yoga instructor in Graz necessarily. Right. So yeah. once we have those employees, which become wellness champions or culture champions, mm-hmm. they, having a, a generalized message, right? A, a unified message to equip them with and guidance on how they can go. It really allowed it organically to grow around the globe in the same way. It didn't get mutated in one office because there was one person running off thinking that, you know, they were going to transform the food program by making everyone vegan, hypothetically, right? It was really <laughs> falling in line with, and everything was well-defined. It's like, here's how we talk about nutrition, right? Here's how we talk about movement. And we always talk about those things from this overall, overall welcoming. My biggest fear as a program director is saying or doing something that turns somebody off and makes them be like, they're making fun of me or it's not for me. It's too intense or it's not in line with me. So food is like the nu- nutrition is the biggest one because unintentionally you may make a comment and someone could get really offended whether you, you know, and so we don't talk about meat or not meat or we talk about real food and macronutrients Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to me that mindset goes like there's nothing offensive about that no matter what your belief system is or how you care to look at all those different aspects we need fat protein carbohydrates Mm -hmm. now where you choose to go get them those can be different sources but that to me is an example of how we had this a soft approach a welcoming approach to people and equipping our employees to help grow it and so Mm -hmm. It'd be too big of a lift for one person to do. So we're yeah. really, really able to leverage our employees and yeah. hear what's going on on the ground. Yeah. And I think you actually, you actually did answer it more as well, because you said earlier, it needs to be part of the mission. Like the company really needs to stand up for the well-being. So even if a company is new to this, like, you know, rethink what, what is your mission looking like right now? And does it actually include well-being? And I think, it's, you know, I think we can really easily get overwhelmed by, oh my God, there's so many things to do. How am I building a culture? You know, wow, this is, this is all too much. Um, and to just kind of take a step back and be like, okay, what is the first thing that I can do? You know, and I, I loved all of the things that you said with like, you know, I think you said both there are leaders and, you know, role models, but also it comes from, it comes from the group. It's about just like, offering opportunities and then having people step up to it as well and, and be part of it because that's how you create a culture when everybody is part of it, then it will create that culture that, that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, I feel like you've already mentioned a lot of things around your own well-being, but I'm going to ask that question anyway, because I'm curious to have you talk about it again is how do you take care of your own well-being? Um, so I kind of go back to our, the six tenets of wellness and I use them as a guide to, uh, you know, just a daily checklist where I can reflect upon and say, what have I done for myself along these lines? Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, um, I have knee issues. So I've had like four knee surgeries and I probably have to get a knee replacement at some point in the hopefully distant future. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, a lot of it starts with not being in pain. So I spent a good number of years, you know, in pain and, maybe coping with that pain in ways that aren't really in line with wellness and other things of that nature. And, but it, so one of them is to incorporate movement in every day. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is how I start my day. So mm-hmm. becoming much more routine oriented and consistent mm-hmm. and to really look at what do I do in the first hour of the day and the last hour of the day. Uh, so in the first hour of the day, one, I love coffee, like love coffee. 
Um, I would never tell people not to drink coffee. I don't push coffee. I'm not saying people should drink coffee, but, but rather, but have a healthy respect for it. Like understand what it does do to your body and timing of and all that kind of stuff. And one thing I've learned is if I have coffee very first thing, then sometimes it kind of sets my day on a little bit too steep of a curve from the outset. And then there's a bit of a crash. So while coffee's brewing, I have water, you know, I do some light stretching. I try to get those things in where I ease my way into the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always then, or I, at the end of the day, then I do my best to remove technology away from me to have some time to either just talk, talk to my wife or read a book or do something that isn't technology oriented. Mm-hmm. And then in between the day, it's just being, it's being very mindful. It's just really paying attention to, even if I, at time, I don't have to do this anymore, but I had to do it when I was, I would say getting better at having my own wellness program, my own personal wellness program is actually putting time on the calendar to say, I'm going to stop and like take stock Mm -hmm. and reflect. Because I think when we don't do that so many times, we may end up downstream from a negative encounter and we're cloudy on why we feel the way we feel and we assign blame to the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we talk about maybe a difficult colleague when we realize that, you know, I woke up in a good mood. I was in a good mood. And then I sat in an hour of traffic and I got in a bad mood. And then someone maybe have a fringy relationship with that was negative because I came in, but I let that negative encounter on the highway have an impact on my relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just really having time to reflect and be conscious of what we feel rise up. Our bodies are giving us signals all the time. And Mm -hmm. it's just, if you wait too long to interpret it, the message gets really cloudy. And so it's really just being kind of in tune. That was rooted in, me- in meditation and really developing a meditation practice and mm-hmm. understanding it where I meditate regularly. But what I found the biggest thing is by doing it over time, even when I don't set aside time to meditate, I find myself being more naturally in a reflective state, mm-hmm. not in a ruminating state, not where I'm going like, what did I just do? Was that the right thing or the wrong thing? But it's reflective of, here's what I did or here's what happened and here's how I feel in the moment because of it. And then how do I react? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you journal as well? Because you said that there are the six, can you say, tell the six pillars? Sure. Sure. Thoughts, breathing, hydration, nutrition, movement, and rest. Mm-hmm. And the analogy we give is that sunlight, soil, and water grows a plant. Everyone has either grown or killed a plant. So everyone gets that analogy. And so mm-hmm. we're a little bit more dynamic than plants. Um, so we have six things, but we give ourselves those six, you know, we also will grow like a plant grows when it gets the three things that it needs. Mm-hmm. Journaling. Uh, I don't, I have, but I don't, it's extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. It's something that I've always struggled having consistency with. But I will say that when I was consistent with it, and sometimes I've used these like mindful practices too much as medicine, as opposed to preventative, meaning like Mm -hmm. if you're just pulling out the meditation when you're in distress, it's probably a little too late. I mean, it may be helpful, but it's really about having the practice so you're on solid ground so you don't hit that distress point. Exactly. Um, But when I do journaling, I think from whether people are struggling with food, or just struggling with maybe things overall, taking stock of their day. I mean, journaling is extraordinarily powerful, but personally, it's something I'm not that consistent with. Mm-hmm. Interesting, cool. Thanks for sharing, Michael. Um, sure. I always have a couple of questions at the end of each podcast. I'm gonna move into those. What okay. are, or what is the thing that you are most grateful for in your life? Oh, uh, well, I mean, not, not to uh, sound like a, 
just a corporate shrill, but uh, I think working, I mean, my, this, this opportunity, so when I moved, I moved out from New York in 2010 to, I had a one-year contract and I didn't know where things were going to go. It was like, if this doesn't work, I don't know what I'm going to do next, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of where I want to go in my career. So it has been being at LinkedIn, being, being able to do what I get to do and where I get to do it has transformed so many other parts of my life. It's made me a better person. Mm-hmm. by giving me some comfort, by giving me things I can do. Um, I think from that, so much goodness has come mm-hmm. uh, from meeting my wife to just having a lot of other successes. But I think it's really rooted in being able to be where I am. So I'm most grateful, I would say, for just the opportunity to have a platform and a voice to speak mm-hmm. towards wellness. Nice. Great. And do you have three wisdoms that you live your life by or like three rules? Three rule. Let me see. I, I do. Um, I'm a big fan of, um, so I should I'm probably understating it. The movie, The Big Lebowski okay. is just like, if you haven't seen it, I, it's highly recommended. Um, but there's a couple different lines in there that really resonate with me, but they kind of boil down to is like, don't take yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's going to be okay. No matter what it is that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, um oh i have another one until i slipped my mind you might have to edit that part out okay but I, um if you want you can, you, can, you can look it up as well and we can just cut it out <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but i would say it's um a little bit of like some, something a little selfish is like you know do things for you like putting yourself first and taking care of yourself so you are on solid ground so one thing is to um, really take stock of what it is that you want and be clear of it. Mm-hmm. I think there is a level of like maintaining a sense of humor towards those things, and not taking ourselves um, too seriously. Yeah. And to ultimately, and this is something I probably incorporated more in the past year. I learned about this and I don't know if it's specific to uh, a country or if it's more like in Buddhist culture around um, thinking about death. Mm-hmm. And not in a way that you ruminate, go, we're all going to die, but just, and it's something about like, you should reflect upon your death five times a day. Mm-hmm. And so the level of this of like, again, that kind of maybe goes into this, don't take yourself too seriously, but like, really, where are your priorities and where are you putting effort and getting where yourself worked up over? Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, being in touch with our own mortality is a little scary, but at the same time, as I've gotten more comfortable with it, it's comforting to a degree. Yeah. So Interesting, because one of the other things that you said that I that really resonated with me is, of course, the preventative aspect of well-being that, you know, if you're meditating when it's already too late or if you're journaling when you're already kind of in that emergency state, that's maybe already a little bit too late. Um, But then I'm thinking, okay, if I think about death, maybe five times a day. And you can probably explain it in both different directions, right? You could say, okay, um, I want to be really healthy and that's why I'm investing today in, you know, moving and eating healthy and resting and taking time for myself and being, you know, making sure that I have positive thoughts. Or you could also say, well, you know, maybe I'm not going to be living very long anymore. So why spend time on that? (laughs) Are you familiar with the comedian George Burns? He's no longer alive and he's an old time comedian, but he used to have a joke around, they say smoking takes 10 years off your life, but the last 10 years of your life suck anyway. So (laughs) why not go smoke? 
Well, that's interesting because, you know, I think of what I, I recall what I was going to mention earlier, which is I have a personal philosophy of disciplined gluttony. Mm-hmm. And that disciplined gluttony, which I love about that, is that it's a dichotomy. And I believe that our lives and our whole, everything is a dichotomy, right? There's mm-hmm. two sides to every coin. There's the ebb and the flow, the sunrise, and the sunset. Like mm-hmm. we can never just have one of those things. And so our bodies are amazingly resilient. They are remarkable and at the same time, they are extremely fragile. Mm-hmm. And so when we can do things right properly, you know, I don't believe life should be in, endured. It should be enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But then we can go too far with that. So is there anything wrong with ice cream? No, there's nothing wrong with ice cream, but that's all you eat, right? So where do you have your indulgence? Where can you be a little gluttonous? But how do you have discipline with your gluttony? Yeah. Um, and so it's being able to enjoy. It's being able to do those things that don't fall perfectly in line with you know, being wellness. Um, But I think that makes it more enjoyable. And that to me is ultimately in line with the natural cycle of the universe, which is of oscillation. Yeah, for sure. Well explained. I like that. And um, uh, do you have any books that maybe you've read over multiple times or that have changed your life and you feel like have given you more insights? I have three of them. I have three, and by that, I actually, these are gifts I usually give out a lot to people. Nice. Uh, So the first book is a book called How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. Mm -hmm. It's written by a guy named Paul Check, who started the Check Institute. Uh, The Check Institute is the one place out of different certifications and education I've had has been the most profound and life-changing for me. And specifically getting into corporate wellness, because it talks more about the totality of the human and how do we interact and, 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 um, and produce great results. So how to eat, move, and be healthy. The other one is a book called um, The Nonviolent Communication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's a gr- great book, really changed me. And the other one is The Wisdom, um, um, no, excuse me, there's four books. The Joy of Living Dangerously, mm-hmm. the third book okay. by Osho. And the last one by a gentleman named Alan Watts is um, wisdom and, The Wisdom and Insecurity. Uh-huh. Or maybe it's the wisdom of insecurity, but the wisdom in insecurity. Okay. So those, I, I feel like those are um, the most influential to me and I think are really powerful books. Very cool. Awesome. We'll link them to the show notes as well. And the last question I actually want to ask you today is a little bit more about the COVID-19 virus, because when this podcast episode is going live, we're probably still in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to hear what's what's next, what's what are you doing right now in these kind of, you know, in the time of crisis and time of uncertainty and how do you help your employees um, be, be well? Well, I think the first thing anyone can do for themselves and one thing that we take guidance on in sort of guiding people is help people resume normalcy or mm-hmm. a sense of normalcy as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And that goes down to things like the routines we keep, like, just because you maybe won't have to see anybody besides your family members in a day, take a shower, do your hair, get dressed. Like don't break so far out of your routine just because you can. Just because you're not going to be face to face with anyone doesn't mean you shouldn't brush your teeth every day, right? Like little yeah. things that we can very easily fall into these bad habits. Um, what we're doing is trying to take, because we had such a large program, we still do, but a program of on-site offerings in our larger offices from gyms and classes and meditation sessions and all these other different things it's Mm -hmm. how do we get those and get them online Mm -hmm. so that people can still engage in those things they continue to learn with it 
And I think lastly, it's about um, giving people an outlet to break away from whatever it is that they're stressed out about or thinking about, giving them an opportunity to engage um, beyond just talking maybe to their family members or the only conversations they have with colleagues or is work-related. Mm-hmm. Is giving people an opportunity to vent a little bit, um, mm-hmm. to create those groups, to encourage them, mm-hmm. and to um, help them find the, again. Ultimately, we do best when we discover things for ourselves. And so I look at our role as how do we allow to just constantly keep people engaged so they can discover these things yeah. on their own learning journey. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I, I do hear, you know, like these things around like isolation at the moment, right? We are isolated in our home. Some people have family, some people don't. So, you know, that can be very isolating um, and that can, you know, lead to anxiety. But also, um, you know, I, I have clients that tell me I, I really love to be, I'm a very extroverted person and that's where I draw my energy from. So now I'm at home by myself. <laughs> um, what am I doing to stay motivated? Um, and I think those groups that you just talked about is actually a really good idea to, yeah. uh, to, you know, keep engaged and to not feel alone because I think the biggest mistake that we can make when we're feeling alone is to you know, just sh- shut ourselves out instead of going out and sh- maybe even sharing that, right? Absolutely. Well, I'll give you one last little um, thought is one thing I did. So I mentioned earlier, you meant, you asked what I had done so far today. And I had mentioned how I did like an internal podcast. Um, and one reason why I wanted to do that selfishly was to have something on my calendar to prepare for mm-hmm. regularly that also at the same time wasn't totally just about me. You know, it's also creating mm-hmm. content, engaging in employees, but my selfish motivation was to have this thing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on my calendar for the next five weeks at 9.30. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be doing these internal podcasts. And so uh, that's helped me sort of regain a little bit of footing and anchor me mm-hmm. to say like, you know, don't go totally off the rails because you have this thing coming up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I, I'm someone who needs that. Mm-hmm. If you just say, oh, go do whatever you all wander. <laughs> I know me too I think we I think a type personalities we love to just take on and do more things and yeah um, and you talked about routine earlier and that's in a routine then too if it's you know regularly for a couple of weeks yeah so. absolutely nice um if people are interested to uh, learn more about you or even get in touch with you uh, what what can they do uh they can find me on LinkedIn mm-hmm. that'd be the best way and so Great. uh you know my last name is S-U-S-I and Mm-hmm. Michael Susie. So yeah, by all means, feel free to drop me a message on LinkedIn or send me a connection request. Great. I'd be happy to. Awesome. Yeah, I'll link that as well. Thank you so much um, for being on the show today, Michael. It was an absolute pleasure to hear you speak more about the programs and all of the different opportunities and things that you have going on at LinkedIn. Well, Julia, thank you. It's great to chat with you as always. And I appreciate the opportunity to share what we're doing. And hopefully we can... Uh, bring some good in these, tra- in these uh, trying times for people. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michael. Have a wonderful day. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye.